Amen. Well, Happy New Year. It was great to be with you for Christmas. I hope your New Year is off to a good start. I had a, I had a good start to my New Year. I, I went to um, the, the Rose Bowl game, so I, I had a great time. That's my, my parents and then my son, and we, we cheered on the Mighty Badgers. We did not win, but it was a great game. So I, I had a great start to my New Year, and then some, some sweet uh, family time. I hope you had some sweet family time and some time to to maybe think about some things that you wanted to do in the new year, because we all kind of have those things that we want to do in the new year. You know, as you enter into 2020, maybe you already had your list, but the question I'd like you to think about today, just for a few minutes, is this question. Have you ever made and accomplished a New Year's resolution? <laughs> I mean, that is the real question, isn't it? Have you ever made it and then actually accomplished a New Year's resolution. Raise your hand if you've ever done it. There, well, you guys, well done. Good job. Now, I'm on the list that I've made my New Year's resolutions, and I, and I try to get those things done, but I, you know, I don't always get them done. But we all have them, and most of them have to do, like, I want to exercise more, or I want to, I love the ones where I want to grow closer in my relationship with God this year than I did last year, or I want to have closer relationships with my family and friends that I have, I have these, these deeper desires to connect relationally in the new year, or maybe graduate from college or graduate from high school or, or, or get that, those, you know, a number of book reads, whatever it is, we, we have these New Year's resolutions or these desires or dreams that we'd like to accomplish in the new year. And it reminds me of a story of, these, uh, of a college student that was trying to uh, graduate from college. He, he needed a uh, a science requirement in order to graduate. So he um, was talking to his buddies, and they, they, he learned that there's this new class or this class that's been uh, offered um, that's super easy, easy A, old professor, and you will know, just take the class and you'll be fine. It's, it's uh, uh, ornithology. Anybody know what ornithology is? Thank you. Maybe you took that class. Uh, <laughs> s- the, study, the study of birds. So he... Um, he listens to his friends, he registers for the class, and he goes to the first day of class, and uh, to his dismay, the, the, reti- the, the old professor that was super easy retired, and so there was a new sort of recent graduate of ornithology that was just fired up about birds, and so he goes to the class, and he gets the syllabus, and he's like, no, my word, I mean, he's got... He's got papers to write, he's got projects to do, he's got books to read, pop quizzes, major exams. He's like, this is crazy. You know, I, I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this class with all the work that's so But He says, I got to get this, the science requirement, gotta, I got to get graduate, you know, this is my time. So he, he sticks it out, he's getting through the class, he's holding a D, you know, for a diploma, he's just getting by. But he gets to that final exam, and he's got to pass the final exam. So he goes into a major auditorium, like 500 people. He sits down, and the exam is face down. So he sits down and flips it over. And on the exam are, are pictures of bird legs. And the directions, instructions read, identify the bird based on its legs. That's what he said. He's like... Oh my, oh, I can't believe this. Like, this is crazy. I just see this stupid science requirement. I had to take this class. I barely passed it. He's like, I'm not even going to. So he's like, he's like verbalizing some of his frustration. And the professor's like, you know, quiet down, quiet down. This is an exam. 
And, and he knows he's not going to pass, so he crumples up the, the exam, and he throws it down. He says, this class is stupid. I've been getting out of here. And he's, he starts walking out, and the instructor says, hey, you sit down. What's your name? And, and he stopped, and he pulled up his pants leg. He says, you figure out who I am. We all want to be known, don't we? We all want to be known. We all want, nobody wants to be like a, a number. No one wants to feel like a number. No one wants to be a face in the crowd. No one wants to be that student that, that the professor doesn't know or in the church where, you know, you're not known. We all want to be known. So as you enter into this new year, there are dreams, there are desires, there are goals that we have to be known. Right, not just to graduate from college or graduate from high school or get that degree and whatever or get that promotion. We have, we have desires, dreams to be known by God, to be known by one another, to, to, to experience community. I was with my, uh, my family, and we, we have a, a little bit of a tradition where we, we have uh, a family mission statement that we, we talk about and pray over, and then at the beginning of the year and sometimes at the, at the beginning of the school year, I'll say, what are your dreams? What are your desires? How are you going to live on mission? What are some goals that you have? And so my, my kids uh, wrote down some of their goals. And uh, one of them says, I want to have a good morning routine. Uh, I want to keep in touch with friends and then hang out with and, and make some new friends. One says, I want to go to Africa uh, this next year. And one says, I want to live for God. I want to graduate from high school and go to Cal Poly. And, uh, and then, you know, I can't read my kids' writing there, so I want to... I want to hang out with my buddies. I want to grow deeper with Colin and Will and Rob. And he, and he spoke down some, uh, I want to improve in school. And, and they have these, these dreams and these goals. So then I, I, I shared with my family, and so I'm just going to kind of let you into the Erlenborn family, um, what, what my goals are, what my dreams are, what I would like to see in 2020. And it, it, it's been, um, I think, three words that God has, has pressed on me the last maybe six months. Uh, I, I've kind of had a, I mentioned this to you one other time, that a, a family health crisis with my daughter has sort of wrecked me and transformed me and shaped me and given me these three, three words that, uh, that are found in the scriptures, that are found specifically in the book of Ephesians, and three words that are shaping me and that I want to shape me as I enter into the new year. Three words that I think will will help you no matter what goals you may have. Whatever it is that you want to do academically or professionally or relationally, three words that I think will enable you to better accomplish those dreams or resolutions or desires that you have for the new year. And the three words are simply this. Sit, walk, stand. Those are the three words that you find in the book of Ephesians. It's a way to summarize the book of Ephesians. Sit, walk, and stand. And so for the next 20 minutes, we're just going to tackle or we're just going to enter into these three words and allow God's word to, to speak to us so that we might sit, walk, and stand differently than we did last year. That maybe we can experience more of God in, in 2020. And, 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 and like I mentioned, this is a way to look at or summarize 
the book of Ephesians. And the first word that we, we want to focus in on is, is sit. That God raised up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That we, as followers of Jesus, are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now for those of you that are familiar with the Scriptures, you might remember and you might be questioning, hey, isn't Jesus the one that's seated in the heavenly realms? Isn't Jesus like seated at the right hand of the Father? And you're right, that's what it says in Ephesians 1.20, that, that power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And you may say, that's just Jesus. Jesus, that's not me, but then Paul writes just the next chapter, that's you. That you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You're seated. You're not standing. You're not running. You're not striving. You're seated with Christ. Your identity is secure in Jesus. I was reading some commentaries related to this passage of Scripture, and one of them writes that there's probably a progression that Paul is seeking to instill in us. And in verse 5, we read that he made us alive in Christ. And then we read, He raised us up with Christ. And then He seated us with Christ. That we're alive, that we're raised, and now we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. In the heavenly realms. That's where we are seated. And it's hard for us to get our mind around that because we're seated in a chair at Simi Covenant Church, right? We're seated here, but we're also positionally seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That we have authority and security in our relationship with God because of what Christ has done. To be seated with Christ in the heavenlies is a figure of speech, meaning that God considers us worthy and destined to be seated with Christ in heaven when we get there. That God has decided to do it. This is what, he, this is what the commentary writes. It's as good as done. It's as good as done. We just have to wait for a few years until it happens. And the significance of being seated with Christ is much the same as being seated at the head of a table of a banquet where there are many important people. It's an honor and a privilege. And it marks you as one of the most important people around the table. Now we will be important in heaven. And how important will you be? Well, you'll be seated with Christ. Like, like, like as one of the king, queen, ruler. You, you already have power to rule. Your positionally, your status is that of seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Your worth and value does not come from what you do or what you own or how much money you make. It's not based on your performance. Your identity, your worth and value rests in the truth. That you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You're positionally with Him. With power and authority to rule. For me, as I enter 2020, and as I've reflected on this passage the last number of months, seated with Christ, sitting with Christ begins in the morning. 
And most of you know this. Most of you do this. This is the, the source. This is the beginning. This is the, it's, it, there's, a, there's a progression here. We sit, and then we walk, and then we stand. But it starts with seating. It starts with sitting down and understanding who you are and your position, your place, your identity in Christ. To be seated begins in the morning where we talk to God. Remember, prayer is talking to God and Bible reading is God talking to us. But we open up the Scriptures and we allow God to speak to us through His Word. And we remember who we are and who He is. And we remember truths that, that I can't control my day, but God can, so I'm going to let Him. That, that God is big and that I am small and God is powerful and I am not and I can surrender. See, that's the power of, of seated. That's, that's where you go when you're seated with Christ, when you're aware that, that God has paid, he, he, you're alive with Christ, you're raised with Christ, you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, or your position is made secure, your lo- His love for you is secure, you can let go and surrender. So a couple months ago, I was going through this difficult time with, with my daughter's health, and I was really struggling. And my wife and I were in conflict. Because she said we got to do this way to care for her needs. I said we got to go this way to care for her needs. And of course we went that way because she's smarter than I am. But we were in tension. And my wife, my, my, my wife and I were in tension, but my daughter was in need. And, and her health was declining significantly. And so we ended up placing her in, in hospital care and we got the right doctors around her. And, and the crazy part is, is this is not new for my daughter. She, she went through cancer, and she walked through leukemia. And so I'd been there before, but this was different. Before I could, I could you know, she was young, I could hold her, I could, I could protect her, I could be with her. This is now she's older, and I was, I was more, I was more um, removed from her care. And it just crushed me as a dad. And so I had this moment with God where I was um, wrestling and struggling and trying to figure out how to do this. And I just, I, I, I heard this word, just, just, just let go. Let go. Let go of your daughter to me. Let go of your marriage. Let go of the future. Surrender. See, that's what happens when you're seated. Because when you're seated and, and you recognize that these earthly burdens, these earthly challenges, these earthly struggles that I have, they feel overwhelming, but I'm going to let them go. All of a sudden, shh, you rise to the heavenly realms. You start to see your circumstances differently. You start to see the world differently. You see it through God. Oh, God's in control. God has the beginning and the middle and the end. God cares for my daughter. God cares for me. I can let go. And trust that God's in control. See, if, if, if you want to enter into 2020 with, with some, some power, if you want to enter into 2020 with some peace, you've got to start off your day seated. Seated, aware that your position is in the heavenly realms. And as you let go of the circumstances, of these earthly circumstances in your life, you'll rise up and you'll walk and that power and confidence of being alive and raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And your future glory will be with Him because He's writing the story. We're in mid-story right now. 
But He's going to come back and make all things new. And we're going to be reigning with Him forever and ever. So the first thing that we talk about, or the first thing I want to remind you, the first thing I want you to invite you into is, is to be seated. But don't stay there. You can't stay seated all day. You've you got to go to this next word that God gives to us in Ephesians chapter 5, and that's this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love to walk. Any walkers in the room? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a number of you. We love you know, walking outside, walking along the beach. There's, you know, there's that great James Taylor song, I'm a walking man. See the walking man walk, right? There's this, there's this movement to walk. But, but God says, I want you to walk in a particular way. I don't want you to wander. I don't want you to walk aimlessly. I want you to walk on purpose. I want you to walk in a particular direction. I want you to walk in the way of love. In all your relationships. In all the interactions that you have at school, at work, at home. I want you to walk in love. I don't want you just to sit I don't want you to wander as you enter into this new year. I want you to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That Christ gave Himself for us. That God so loved the world that He gave. He gave us His Son. He loves us that much. A really close friend of mine has yet to experience the powerful love of God and experience the forgiveness for her sins. And, and, and she's a dear friend and she's also had some challenges uh, this past year as we all have, but her circumstances were particularly difficult where her, her husband committed a crime, uh, a white collar crime, ended up in prison and for the last Two years, she has yet to forgive her husband for the crimes that he committed. And it's killing her. And it's crushing her. And, and, and she and I talk regularly, and I give her instructions, and I give her books to read. But she has the hardest, and she has yet to do this, forgive her husband for the ways for, for the things that he did and how that's affected the children and their family. And she can't forgive him. And the reason why is because she has yet to experience Christ's forgiveness. See, because once you realize that God so loved you and gave himself up for you as a fragrant offering for, for you, once you realize that, that God sacrificed his son for you so that you could experience forgiveness, I mean, it's like, of course I can forgive the person that wronged me. Because look at how I treated God. Look at how I walked away from God. Look at how I shook my fist at God. Look at how I disobeyed God or acted as if everything was okay when I knew it wasn't aside. See, once you experience God's forgiveness, then you can forgive those that have wronged you. Then you can walk in the way of love. And many of you, most of you, have experienced Christ's forgiveness for your sins. 
you know, whether you were a child or whether you're older in life, and, and maybe even David. You remember what David did on Christmas Eve? Who was here for Christmas Eve, that first service? Wasn't that fantastic? David shared a bit of his story and how he, you know, learned about God through this church and, and through the worship music. And then he put his faith in Christ and, and with, a, in a, with a conversation with Matt. And he's, and he's growing now in his relationship with God. And you are there. And if you're not there, we can talk more after the service on how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But most of you have experienced that. See, because you have experienced God's love, you can love. Because you've experienced God's forgiveness, you can forgive. Because you've experienced God's generosity, radical generosity, you can be radically generous in your life. You can love. You can walk in the way of love because you've experienced His love in your life. And isn't that what you want for 2020? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that, I mean, if you could have one word that would mark your year, like if we, we got together a year from now, and someone said, hey, you know, I was watching you, Joe, and there's one thing that I would say marked your life. It was a way of love. We should be like, oh, man, that's amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Isn't that what you want, Joe? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want my life to be marked by love. At the end of the year, could you say, yeah, and this is how it is. This is how you, you, first you're seated, and you remain seated, and you let go of the earthly circumstances, you rise up and you recognize, I'm loved. I'm forgiven. I, I, God has been so generous to me. I can walk in His love. I want to follow His example as dearly loved children. And I'm going to love as He's loved me. I want to forgive as He's forgiven me. And I'm, free, I'm going to forgive. And I know that you're probably thinking, hey, you don't know my life. You don't know how that person's wronged me. You don't know how that person's talked poorly about me. You don't know how that, that man left me. And you're right, I don't. But I do know how you've walked away from God. And I do know how you've pushed God out of your life. And I do know how your sin has separated you from God. And I do know that God gave His Son so that you can have a relationship with Him. And that's how much He loves you. So as dearly loved children, as you've experienced that love, you can love. You can walk in that love. You can forgive the person that has hurt you. This couple days ago, I went to a, a World Vision gathering, a pastor's gathering. And as you may remember, I served as a pastor 16 years, and now I'm with World Vision. I love being able to come alongside the good work that, that the church is doing. But I, I had a chance to meet uh, and listen to um, Alice's story. And Alice is there in the middle, and Alice shared her story. She's a Rwandan, a Rwandan woman that survived the genocide. And she described her story, and it, it, just, it just wrecked me, the, the, the trauma that she had to endure. Where, um, you know, uh, a, a, a man that was in her grade school uh, that she grew up with uh, happened to be uh, you know, from a different tribe, and his tribe then slaughtered her tribe, and over a million people were killed, and she got, you can't see it, but um, a machete cut off, cut off her arm, and then the man came and, and cut her daughter in half, and she fled into the woods uh, for three weeks, 
and they thought that she was dead, um, and she survived this horrific time. And I heard her story just two days ago, and she, as she was describing it, um, you couldn't help but, but just fall almost in, in tears and agony. And then she said, and I forgave. I forgave the man that cut off my arm and killed my daughter and killed my family. And this is how it happened. As World Vision and other organizations were coming alongside the local church, she, th- this man went through a healing process and he found Alice and went up to her and, and asked, will you forgive me? And Alice said, literally, she fainted, like at that moment. And, and two weeks later, she went and found him and then said, I, I forgive you. Because she experienced God's forgiveness. She experienced God's love. She experienced God's presence in her life in such a way that she could forgive the man that killed her child. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. That's what Paul is saying to you. I want you to walk in the same type of love. I want you to forgive the people that has hurt you. I want, because th- that's how we, we can experience God's presence and power in our lives in 2020. We've got, we got, we got to step out and forgive and walk. I was meeting with a pastor not that long ago, and he was going through a really difficult time. He was wronged, like many of us have been wronged. And this is what I said to him. I said, Christ died for my sins and the sins against me. When you understand that truth, that Christ died for your sins and the sins against you, it's really, it's really easy to forgive the people that have wronged you. Forgive the people that have hurt you. Because Christ died for their sins too. He did for your sins and the sins against you. That's the freedom. That's the power for you to walk in love. When, when, as, we, as I think about ent- entering into 2020, I want to remind myself that I am loved. So some of the things that I do, they're kind of silly, um, but I, I, uh, I, I sit and I breathe. Abba, I am your child. Abba, I am your child. Throughout the day, I just got to remember that I'm, in, I'm loved by God. Abba, I am your child. Another thing that I do when birds fly by, I say, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Every time I see a bird, God loves me. And then sometimes I put my fingers interlocking like this and say, I am in him and he is in me. I am in him and he is in me. So this is when I'm sitting down with my wife or with my kids, I am in him, he is in me. That's what's going through my noodle. Because I want to walk in a way of love. Don't you? Isn't that what you want to do? Isn't that how you want this year to be described as? You've got to have reminders in your life that, that connect you to the truth that you are a dearly loved child and to walk in his way. And to love others in ways that are meaningful. I'm trying to be intentional to love my, my family this year. And, and two commitments that I've made is to do the dishes. Because no, nobody in my family likes to do the dishes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love on my family. I'm going to do the dishes just about every night. Every night that I can. And then I also know that my daughters, i got three daughters, that they love to have their hands massaged. And they love to have their feet massaged. And feet smell, don't they? But, but when I massage their feet, man, they just melt. And so when we're watching television or, you know, when, I, when, I, when I'm sitting together in a, in a sermon like this, maybe you can do this with your, your family member, I, I, I'll, I'll massage their hands. And they love it. I don't love it. I don't love stinky feet. 
but I want to I love them in ways that are meaningful to them. So as you enter into 2020, think about how can I love people in ways that are meaningful to them? Because this is, this is the invitation that God has for us, to sit, to walk. And the last one is to stand. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You are in a battle. You have an enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. You have to know that. I know you know it, but sometimes you forget it. That you're in a war, that you're in a battle. And there's a real enemy, and he's coming after you, and he's coming after me, and he's coming after your children. He's coming after your, your dreams. He's coming after those goals, the resolutions that you have. He doesn't want you to accomplish those things. He's your enemy. So what do you do against your enemy? He says, stand. Oh, man, Ephesians 6. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Stand. Take your stand. You don't even have to attack the, 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 the enemy. Just stand firm. Stand firm in the truth of who you are. Stand firm. For justice, stand firm for what's right. Stand against the devil's schemes. Because the enemy is real. He's coming after you and he's coming after me. I mentioned that this has been a, a, a challenging time and, and I, I want to read a, a journal entry that I have to let you in a bit on how God has been speaking to me. But it, it, it came as I was sitting and I, I was reading this passage of Scripture found in Mark chapter 2. And this is a story that you're probably familiar with in Mark chapter 2, where a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that they had gone home. And so many gathered, and there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to him. So this is Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And he's in Capernaum, and he's he's teaching he's starting his teaching ministry and he's in a building a house and it's packed and there's no way that people can get in to hear the teachings of Jesus so this is what happens some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them and since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above and Jesus uh, Jesus roof above Jesus and after digging through it lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Can you imagine this conversation that these men have? You know, they got this paralyzed man that's his friend, and they want to get him to Jesus, and one of them says, hey, I got an idea. Let's cut a hole in the roof. That's a great idea. Hadn't thought of that one. You know, here comes the paralyzed man. So let's get him to Jesus. But these guys were desperate, so I'm reading this, this scripture. And, 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 and maybe you're familiar with this next phrase. Uh, the next phrase is this. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So I'm reading this in my devotions, and I'm, I, and I'm, and, and I'm coming to this phrase. When Jesus saw their faith, he didn't see. Now, maybe the paralyzed man had faith. We don't know, but I'll include him in the group. But when he saw the faith of these four men, the guy got healed. And so I'm saying, God, what did you see in these four guys? What was it about their faith that you saw? And, and, and I got to thinking, well, it was probably a desperate faith. It's like these guys were like, man, we just got to get him Jesus. We'll, we'll cut a hole in the roof. It was probably a creative faith. It was a desperate faith. It was a creative faith. 
it, 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 it was a close, it was a caring faith. Like, I'm sure that a number of people walked by this paralyzed man. But these four guys were close enough to this paralyzed man that they, that they cared enough for him to bring him to Jesus. And then they brought him to Jesus. They believed that Jesus could heal. That's the kind of faith that they had. And then Jesus healed them. When Jesus saw their faith, the, the faith of these four men, the faith of these men that were desperate, they were creative, they were close to this man, they loved this man enough. When they saw that this, these guys believed that Jesus could heal, he did. He forgave the man of his sins, and then he got up and walked. And so I'm reflecting on this, and I, I'm going to read you this little journal entry, and if I start to cry, you'll know why. But this is what I wrote down. It says, as I reflect upon this last week, this is the week of, of my daughter's needing medical attention, I said, I must agree with, with Jesus that my friends played a significant role in my healing. I spoke with Dave. I wept with Dave. I video called my, my friends, Don, Rob, Sean, and Paul. I called Matt. I heard words like, I'm sorry, I'm with you. Don't let money hold you back from receiving care. There are many people that love you. You're not alone. And although I was alone, I was physically alone. I was alone in my car. I was alone in a hotel room. I was alone in my office. I was physically alone, but I was with my friends, and their faith healed me. I know that I don't have a church that I'm regularly part of right now, and that's hard, but I do have my friends, Matt, Dave, Rob, Sean, Paul, Griff, Mark, and for that, I am healed, because I was the paralyzed man this week. I was paralyzed in my fear. I was stuck in my shame. I was overwhelmed with sorrow. I was confused. I was desperate. I didn't know what to do. And they brought me to Jesus. So I let go. Let go. I let go of my daughter to Jesus. You're never designed to stand alone. You can't win the battle alone you got to have friends you got to have family you got to have a church willing to battle with you when your daughter's sick when your job's a mess when your marriage is a mess do you believe that their faith can heal you do you believe that the faith of the person next to you could actually be the faith that can bring healing and hope into your life, into your marriage, into your children, into your future? Lock arms and stand with Pastor Kurt. Lock arms and stand with one another. As you enter into this new year, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in the truth of who you are. Stand firm with the people around you. Stand firm for your family because they're depending on you and the generations behind them are depending on you to stand. And when everything else is done, stand again. Stand firm. There's a story about a guy by the name of Rick Rigsby. And 
I'm, I'm not going to share his video with you. You can look it up on your own, but he, he, um, he spoke at a commencement service, and uh, he talked about how his dad um, spoke into his life when he was at a very desperate situation, when his, do- when his two sons and he were at the funeral for his wife that died of cancer. And he said, my dad gave me three words, son, stand up. Stand up. You got too many people dependent on you. You got to stand up because most of us want to fall. When you're in those moments of despair and desperation, you want to fall. You want to collapse. You want to remain in that fetal position. But God says, stand. I am with you. I am for you. You are not alone. And as you enter into this next year, I want to give you three words. Three words that can help you. Three words that will, 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 will shape you. Three words that I think will even enable you to enter into that space where you are living out those dreams and aspirations and goals that you might have. And these are the words. Sit, walk, stand. Sit, walk, stand. Don't stand alone. Stand in community. Don't stand by yourself. Stand for the most vulnerable. Stand for the kingdom. Stand for justice. I love what Aristotle wrote when he said this, you are what you repeatedly do. And may you do these three actions. That's what I'm going to do this year. That's what I've invited my children to do this year. So that at the end of this year, maybe they, they say, man, God, you did a beautiful work in me because I sat alone with you. I, I, I downloaded all the things I needed to surrender. I, I, I started walking in love and grace and forgiveness and I stood my ground against the evil one and his desires. And I didn't stand alone. I stood in community. I stood with my family. I stood with my church. I stood with my brothers and sisters. And we overcame together. As the worship band comes up, I just want to pray for you and ask that God will bless you as you enter into this new year. God, we just acknowledge that you are good, that you are great, that you are worthy, and that you are with us, and that we are not alone. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for the power of these three simple words. Sit, walk, stand. And I ask, Father, that as Simi Covenant Church enters into this new year, that they could sit in You, walk with You, and stand together with their new pastor and be the light in a fresh way to this community. They they could stand together against the the sickness in, in, in people's lives against the, the challenges of marriage, that they could stand in unity for the sake of the least of these, for the sake of the children that don't have access to water, for the sake of those that don't have access to Christ, Lord, that they could stand together in power and in grace and in truth. Because that's what we want, Jesus. That's what we long for. And we ask that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as the ushers come down to receive the offering, I just want to remind you that all we have is a gift from God, and we just give back to Him what is rightfully His to express our faith, our trust in Him. So give generously, give cheerfully, and give your gifts to the Lord, and reflect upon those truths as uh, Jane the band sing the song.